Check, check. You got to turn the mic on for it to work. Here we go. Hey, good morning. If you uh, weren't able to be with us uh, so far the, the rest of this weekend, just want to say hello and thank you. Uh, it's great to meet you. My name is Casey Schutza. What's up, buddy? Good morning. I, he's like, it's my first time right now. I'm excited, all right? Uh, if that's you, man, I just r- brief, quick, uh, who I am is uh, I'm a young adults pastor at uh, Church at the Cross in Grapevine, Texas. And uh, our hope is in the net. My, my wife, we have four kids. Um, and our hope is in the next year or so to plant and start a new church in the DFW area. And so uh, it's a, I came here last year and got to preach and hang out with you guys. And so it's really an honor. Uh, I'm grateful to, uh, to Pastor David for inviting me back out. So if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 2? Romans chapter 2. And today's sermon is called, Why Church Kids Need the Gospel. Why Church Kids need the gospel. Brief overview, if you're like, hey man, I'm barely here, I had a donut, and uh, what's going on this weekend? We just walked through Romans chapter 1. I did two different, nice Travis Kelsey jersey, by the way, I like that, all right? So, uh, they're going to lose, unfortunately, but I like the jersey. I see some Pat Mahomes jerseys. Matter of fact, if you think the Niners are going to win, raise your hand real quick. Okay, let's see the Chiefs. Are the Chiefs going to win? Y'all don't even... Y'all probably can't name one Chiefs player other than Taylor Swift, okay? So, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Just wait. When they, when they break up, the, whole, the Chiefs are going to fall apart, all right? So, just wait. All right, I ruined everything by doing that. All right. <laughs> all right, let's begin. So what, we, what we've done so far is walked through Romans chapter 1, and we've looked at really two main things. We've looked at what it means to be unashamed of the gospel, and what is the good news of the gospel. And then last night, we looked at the bad news of the gospel. We looked at, we looked at how our, because of our sinful state, all of us are fallen, and we saw just a litany of broken ways. And we're going to look in Romans chapter 2 this morning and see how just some, some different aspects that stand out of how sometimes when we get caught up in church, in religion, and, th- and we've, this can become normal to us, talking about the gospel, that we can think that message is for everybody else, but not for me. I don't need it anymore because I grew up in church. That's for, that's for those out there or those who are, who are brand new to this. But this is old news to me. I get all this Jesus stuff, but I'm a pretty good person. I was raised in church. I'm a pretty good person. I have good grades. I'm a pretty good person. I don't do many bad things. If that's your heart's attitude this morning, then I I would say pay close attention because a lot of Romans chapter 2 is written to you. I'd like to start by asking you a question. How do you treat the kindness of God? How do you treat or think of the kindness of God? I'm going to open up with a story. October 19th, 2011, it seemed like a typical day in the small town of Zanesville, Ohio. The weather was rainy, kind of like today. People went to work, kids went to school, and then chaos broke loose because more than 50 wild animals were released from a local zoo. The owner of a local zoo took his own life, but before he did, he broke all the zoo's gates and released lions, tigers, bears, snakes, gorillas, everything into the local town. 
You can, don't do it now, but afterwards, if you think I'm lying, Google it, right? Google Zanesville, Ohio, 2011. 911 was called immediately, like they could do anything about it, and they couldn't. You can't just catch a gorilla in the street, right? One woman said she was driving down the road, and there was a lion that walked out right in front of her car at the stoplight. That'd be fun on the way to school, all right? The, the people on the side of the road, the, the, the road signs were flashing, caution, exotic animals stay in your vehicle. Oh, man. Well, could you imagine just driving? Uh, one one uh, news reporter said it was literally like Noah's Ark wrecked right here in Zanesville, Ohio. I, thought, I think I thought that was quote was funny. The news cameras descended on Zanesville that night as the entire world began to watch the unreal event unfold. And they said it was a terrifying night as well because two very different worlds, track with me, Two very different worlds collided. You saw the dangerous animal kingdom in the civilized, safe world of comfort of Zanesville, Ohio, crash. And everyone woke up to that morning to the dangerous presence being in the midst of their city. The dangerous presence. And I want you to know, this is how the Bible describes the holiness of God. That, that we have a holy God who His presence in and of itself, though He is good, God is holy and His presence is dangerous. That what, in, in a similar way as we should tremble at the thought of lions and tigers and bears in our city, in some level, we should tremble at the thought that the way that the Bible describes God is a holy perfect and righteous judge who is an all-consuming fire of all the earth that one day will come and destroy all evil and judge the church kids and the non-church kids all together. That that moment is coming. Now the good news is this. God is not just the judge and holy and righteous king of all the earth. He's also the lover of our souls. And he refuses to love us from a distance. He desires to come so near us that he stops at nothing to love his people. But if we never stop to discuss the serious of the judgment of the holiness of God, then the cross, the righteousness that God requires, the love of Jesus will mean nothing to us unless we've first seen what the love of Jesus actually required, what Jesus actually did for us. My question is, how do you treat the kindness of of God? Does it mean anything to you? So this morning, our sermon is called Why Church Kids Need the Gospel. And we're going to look at three reasons why and two ways to test your heart. If your heart is the heart of a church kid or the heart of someone who's really been touched by the message of Jesus. Look back with me in Romans chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you got it, say got it. If you don't got it, look on the screen. Here we go. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Pause. Look at me. The such things is everything we read last night in Romans 1. 
I want you to pause right there and let me just point out a couple things that it said in Romans 1. It said that we are idolaters. The problem is not just that we don't trust God, it's that we prefer God's stuff. We worship creation over the creator. We worship a, a relationship or a job or what someone else thinks of us, and the Bible calls our hearts idolaters, that we want God's stuff more than we want God. It's not just that we've done bad things, it's that we've loved things more than God, that our hearts are disordered. Our hearts need to be reordered to set God first in our hearts. But all of us have some sort of threatening idol that sits higher in our heart than God. That's the message of Romans chapter 1. And then it, that plays out in numerous, uh, numerous ways. Brokenness in our sexual relationships, brokenness in social relationships, brokenness in how we treat money and gossip and disobedience to parents. Paul is saying, all of that flows from the brokenness of our hearts. Now we can go back to Romans chapter 2. So in Romans 2, when it said, you who practice the very same things, he's talking about the stuff in Romans 1. Pick up in verse 3. You guys still got it? In verse 3, it says this. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will ex escape the judgment of God? Or, you, or do you presume on the, kind, on the riches of his kindness, kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, and on that day, he will render or give to each one according to his works. What? I thought we'd been talking about faith. What are we talking about works? Look at verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But, do, but honor and glory and peace will be given to everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Number one, point number one. Why do church kids need the gospel? Because church kids can be falsely assured. What that means is, church kids can be tempted at times to find your confidence in being a church kid. I, I went to Iwana's when I was five years old. I've been in private school since I'm five. Uh, I'm, I, and those are, I, I, I hope one day to be able to afford private school for some kid, right? But maybe one of my four kids, but... But if we make those sorts of things, or you're like, I don't cuss, I don't listen to secular music, I don't drink, I don't... Now, some of those things are, are very, very good. But if you make those things your identity of what I don't do instead of who I belong to, then you can make your assurance... You guys with me? Your sense of salvation and security and your identity before God be in what you do or don't do instead of belonging to Jesus. That your identity comes from the righteousness of Jesus 
instead of your own righteousness. This is what Paul is attacking in Romans chapter 1. He's, he's, he's judging the Jewish person who would say, yeah, get those pagan Gentiles. All those sins listed in Romans 1, get them, Paul. Get them, judge them. Yeah, get them. And then Paul flips the script. He's like, wait, 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 hold on. You want me to judge the world, but what about you? You're judging the world, but are you not doing the same thing the world is doing? Chapter 1 has a lot of they language. Say they. Chapter 1 will say things like, they exchanged the glory of God. They were disobedient to parents. They exchanged natural relationships and exchanged them for unnatural relationships. But chapter 2, he doesn't say they. What's he say? You. Look back with me in the text. Verse 3. Suppose, O oh man, you who judge. So he flips, the, the, chapter 2 is you language. Now, <clears throat> a, a religious person could hear this and think um, that God's judgment is only for the outsiders and not from them. And so I want to ask you a quick question. Do you think when God comes again to judge the world, what, what will make you safe on that day? When the Bible says some astounding things about the judgment of God, it says that Jesus is going to crack the sky and come down on a white horse and allegedly save his people and slay a lot. Like there's going to be a wild judgment on that day. And my question to you is what confidence do you have on that day that you'll be safe, saved? Does your confidence, let me ask you, if it comes down to stuff like this, I'm a good person, don't you know the family that I come from, Casey? We're a good family. I never get in trouble at school. I, I, I'm at church every week. I read my Bible a lot. I'm, I know I'm better than her. And I know I'm definitely better than him. I mean, he's wearing a Niners jersey. Like I'm, I'm, if your confidence is in judgment or comparison to other people, my, I, my fear is that you, you might have a false sense of assurance. And here, in the same way, the Jews in this passage that Paul is correcting is they're finding their confidence in that we're the people of God. We have the Old Testament. We've got the law. We know God's will. But he's like, it's not if you know God's will. It's if you do God's will. And because they have God's law, they're actually more accountable to it. Let me give you an illustration. I have four kids, and a couple weeks ago, um, a couple weeks ago, I had two of them were, uh, actually all four of them were in the bath, and uh, my, my daughter's upstairs, three of my littlest ones were in the bath, and the youngest one, she's two, she jumps out of the bath, and my wife, my wife is, is dealing with the first one, she's like, you guys stay in the bath, and I'll be right back, all right? I'm out doing some church event, and so my wife is like scrambling. She's got all, those nights are hard. So like, you know, you should honor all your leaders in this room, right? Those nights are hard on families, all right? But so she's running upstairs, and she comes back. The littlest one has a cup, and she's just getting uh, toilet water up out of the toilet. And she's like pouring it on top of her head. So she comes back in, and she's like, look, mommy. And she's like, and, and Jenna, and my wife Jenna's like, no, 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 it's disgusting. What are you doing? She gets her and just like baptizes her back in the bathtub. She's like, what are you doing? 
She's like, gosh. So he gets her out of the bath, and she's like, y'all, stay in the bath. I'm going to put pajamas on her and put her in bed. I'll be right back. I'll be back in five minutes, right? And she comes back. The three-year-old and the five-year-old are doing the same thing. And they're back in the toilet water. And they're like throwing it all over the ground. And she's like, and for those two, those two got a spanking. Here's my question. Why, think about it, why did the four and the five-year-old get a spanking but not the two-year-old? The five-year-old knew better. She knew mama's law. Mama's law is don't dig in the toilet, you disgusting child. But the two-year-old doesn't know that that's where you poop. She's just like, it's a bowl of water. It's gross. All right, let's calm back down. Here's what it means. Increase, stay with me. Bring it back. Increased knowledge or revelation increases the judgment. When you know more, you're accountable to more. You with me? The baby didn't know more, so she got a little grace. The kids know a lot more, and they did not. And in a similar way, I think this is where church kids need to hear this, that if you've been raised and you're like, I know, the, I know God's law, I know God's expectation, you are more accountable to respond to it. Some of you, this is your first weekend you've ever been in a church. And for you, you need to learn these things and still respond, and you're still accountable to turn and respond to Jesus. But for some of you, you've heard this for a long time, and I've wondered if it, if it starts to become old to you. The religious heart or the church kid heart can say, I put God into my debt. I've been good. I read my Bible. I show up to church. Therefore, God owes me. Have you ever actually said that or thought that out loud? God, you owe me. God, I've been good. God, I've done the right things. Why does so-and-so in my family have cancer? Why is my parents going through a financial struggle? Why won't that boy date me? Why won't X, 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 Y, and Z? And if that's your, that's your heart, you've missed the gospel. God doesn't owe us. Anything he gives to us is out of the freedom of his own mercy and kindness. And if you think, I'm doing good and therefore God owes me, I want to ask you a question. Are you exhausted? Like, are you absolutely tired of thinking, I have to, I have to maintain a religious identity and look good, otherwise I won't be seen as good? Number two. Point number two is this. Church kids can be deeply hypocritical. Church kids can be deeply hypocritical. Look back with me in the text. In verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God falls rightly on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you'll escape judgment? This is called hypocrisy. Say hypocrisy. It's applying to someone a standard that you yourself don't even obey. Self-righteousness is a, is a way to cover up our judgment while we also judge other people. And I think Jesus gives us a good example in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter, you guys remember this story? 
uh, where Jesus says, and this is it, most non-Christians who attempt, uh, I'm not saying if you're in the room tonight and you're like, I'm not a believer, I'm here, that's great. I'm talking about the angry kind of secularist who's uh, aggressive against Christianity. They'll say, hey, judge not. Every, every like hardcore agnostic knows that Bible verse. Ah, don't, don't tell me I'm wrong, judge not. And they rip that right out of its context. But if you read all of Matthew 7, Jesus actually says this, judge not lest you be judged for with the judgment that you judge others, it will be measured back to you. Now, he's still not done. He gives an example of what he means. He says, why do you look at the speck? You guys remember this verse? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not notice what? The log. All right, so imagine this. You walk up and homegirl has a, a log hanging out of her eye. And she's like, hey, you've got sawdust like on your eyelashes. Your eyelashes look really good, but like you have like sawdust all over it. Get it out. And you're like, sister, you've got a tree branch in your face. Like, you're worried about my eyelashes, and you've got a log hanging. Jesus, y'all, Jesus is brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. He uses, I mean, if you can, a five-year-old can understand this. He's saying, do you know how hypocritical and silly you look? That you've got a log hanging out of your eye, and you're worried about homegirls like sawdust? He's saying, in the same way, that's what you, but, now, that's not where he ends. You know what he ne says next? Take Take the log out of your eye so that you can go back to your sister and say, now I see clearly because there's a log out of my face. My vision is, is right now. Now I can help my sister go back and clean up what's in her eye. And the point is this. That's actually a type of judgment. So we are in, in the church. We can judge one another in that sort of kindness to say, hey, I also have sin that I deal with. But I'm coming and approaching you to say, I, you need help getting something out of your life. But that's not what is happening in Romans 2. The person in Romans 2 is judging them while not looking at themselves. They are puffed up. Um, let me give you an example of this. My wife and I, we drove to Colorado last year on a ski trip. And anybody been to Colorado or been skiing? All right. It was, I hadn't been there since I was 20, so I, I'm 34 now. I know I, I know I look 18, but, but I, so, so I was driving into Colorado, right? And we had, we had bought all these snacks, and we bought these bags of chips in Texas, right? But as we drove into Colorado, what do you notice about the difference between Texas and Colorado? The what? Altitude, elevation. We didn't know. We're just driving, and all of a sudden we look, and these bags of chips are like, and they're like about to explode. I'm like, whoa, 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 someone get those chips. They're about to bust everywhere. So this little tiny bag of chips is now about this big, and it's puffed up. And I was like, okay, if we touch it, it's going to explode everywhere. So we took a pin, and we popped that bag of chips. And then you look in, and you're like, there's only like nine, nine chips in this bag anyway. Cheaters are stealing money from everybody. Nine chips for $4.50. What is this? And I had an illustration come to my mind. This is what happens when we make our identity, our self-righteousness, and our works. We are a big puffed up bag of chips. We're like, look how good I am. Look how perfect and holy I am. And if someone were just come and pop our bag and say, hey, brother or sister, I see some sin in your life. 
I see some self-righteousness or some arrogance. The way you're talking, the way you're judging people is actually not a Christian way. I wonder if many of us would explode like a bag of chips and we'd look at the content of what's really in our heart and there's just a little bit there. I want to say this. What the gospel wants to give you is the ability to not have to be more than you are. In Romans 1.16, I've read it in every single sermon so far. Romans 1.16 and 17 says this. Grab your Bibles. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our confidence cannot be, I am very, very good, but Jesus is very merciful. Jesus gives me his righteousness and his goodness by faith. And in that regard, if we know God loves me, the cross tells me that God knows the worst things about me. And he chose to die for me anyway. That on the cross, we are so sinful. Jesus had to die for us. But we're so loved, he was willing to die for us. Both of those things being true in the gospel. Only then can I be honest with myself and say, I am sinful. I am self-righteous. I do struggle with this and this and this. But you cannot be honest about your sin until you've actually had the freedom to say, God loves me and accepts me in spite of my sin. You guys with me? When you get a grip of the gospel that he's loved you before you've done anything for God, only then can you breathe and say, I am saved by grace. Not by what I do for God, but by what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. Amen? And the last thing is this. Church kids, until we get that, church, church kids can be the most resistant to grace. We can say, I don't need grace because God's going be, to be kind. God's going to cover all my sin and we can abuse the kindness of God. And that's what the Jewish person in Romans 2 is doing. They're saying, who cares about, just judge people. God's going to be gracious. And they're, they're treating God's grace as if God owes them. They're not saying, God has been gracious to me. So how should my life, how should that change how I love God? How should that change my good works? How should that change how I treat other people? If you have your Bible, real quick, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 18. Jesus gives us a really good example of this. And then I'll wrap this up. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus says this. You guys remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Look at this in verse 9. Jesus says this. And he told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were, anybody got a Bible open? That they were righteous and treated others with contempt or judgment. He says this, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers or even like these tax collectors. I fast, listen what he's doing in verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give my money and all that I get. But the tax collector, 
stood far off and would not even lift his eyes toward heaven. But he beat his breast or his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at me. You've got two people. You've got a very religious man who says, God, I am good and you accept me because I'm good. And you have a very sinful man who can't even lift his eyes towards God because he knows his brokenness, that he's stolen money, that he's been abusive, that he's been a terrible human being. And he gets on his knees and his face before God, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, which man goes to heaven? This man goes home justified. Why? Because his heart has been touched by the grace of God. This man, his whole identity is built in himself. And that's Romans 2. That is Romans 2. Is your identity built in what you've done for God or in the mercy and grace of what God has done for you in Jesus? The gospel, friends, if you hear nothing this week, listen to this. The gospel saves us, but the gospel changes us. It's the gospel that transforms our life. And until our life is transformed by the gospel, there will be nothing else that we can find assurance or confidence in. And I want to close with two questions for you. How do you determine if your life is more touched by religion or touched by the gospel? Question number one. Do you seek the higher future reward? The higher reward. If you're, if you're looking back in Romans 2, the way this passage closes is kind of weird. It's kind of like, what is going on? And the way he says it is this. Look in verse 6 and 7, if we have that back on the screen. Romans 2, 6 and 7, it says this. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. The person who really believes the gospel, you are saved by faith alone, but your faith is never alone. You with me? A true saving faith leads to true works that overflow from that. Jesus gives the illustration. If the tree is healthy, what will grow on the tree? Good fruit. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be broken. And in the same way, Paul is saying here, if you really love Jesus, your life will begin to blossom and you will say, I don't need the rewards of life now. I can wait on the reward of heaven that God is bringing one day. But question number two, do you seek immediate selfish gain? The person who their life has not been touched by the gospel, they want their glory now. Now, and anyone who stands in their way, they're a threat to their glory. The Christian, the heart that's been touched by grace, can say, I will get my glory from what God says of me. Whatever I have to lose in this life, he is going to reward me and honor me in the next one. The reward is coming. Do you want your reward from the glory that comes from God or the glory that comes from people's likes on Instagram? One day, 
He's going to come again. Do we want the immediate selfish gain or do we trust the future glory that's coming? The Bible says when he comes again, he's going to reward us with something that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor our hearts even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, that reward can be yours if you'll turn to Jesus. If you'll say, you are my only righteousness and you are my only hope. I find it and I want that from no one else but you. Thank you guys for the time that we've spent this week. Let me pray over us to that end. Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. And for those who've yet to trust in Jesus, I pray that, God, you would give them the grace to consider these things. To consider if they want the rewards that come from people. Or even the the false assurance that comes from looking good but instead of really finding true goodness and true righteousness in throwing ourselves upon Jesus in his kingdom, what he's done for us at the cross and in his resurrection. God, I pray you'd fill us and build us up and make us your church. Send us into this world. Help us live for your kingdom right here in Temple Bible Church. And as we go into this city and into our colleges and into our futures, God, would you empower these young men and women to be your your witnesses in all the earth, wherever you might send them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Casey. Guys, give me like two minutes.